please tell me what a Kraken is. You're listening to Unscripted with Mike and Chris, brutally honest sports talk. And now, here is Mike Jansen. So we have absolutely no sports news outside of NASCAR and maybe a bit of UFC and WWE and empty arenas and then just whoever's got COVID for a bunch of months. And now all of a sudden we get three interesting stories in about an hour today. So of course when it rains it pours. So welcome to the special edition, bonus edition of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. I'm Chris. On the phone we are joined by the lead host of Unscripted, Mike Jansen. And Mike, let's get right to it. What the hell do you think about the Seattle name and logo and jersey colors? And did they get it right? And was it worth the wait? (laughs) Um... Absolutely not. Um, with the buildup, um, you know, because of coronavirus, uh, they waited, and I thought that was the proper thing to do. But we waited for what? Um, what the hell is a kraken? Um, well, I can tell you what it is if you want. <laughs> I have no idea what it is. Oh, I, mean, I can tell team, you what it is. The team, you know what? If the team sucks, they're going to be the crackers. So um, yeah, and the crackheads and or the crackheads or the whatever. I I think this is preposterous. I I I I I feel sorry to be honest for the Seattle sports fans. Now, before I put my foot too much in my mouth, please tell me what a kraken is before I really go off. Sure, and I don't like the name, but I I appreciate how they came up with the concept so a kraken is a gigantic fictitious sea monster is what it is so they said they wanted to honor their maritime traditions is what seattle said and even uh, ron francis uh, went around uh, and asked fans what they wanted the name to be and he said the number one thing they kept hearing was this name because it's this gigantic sea monster. And I get it. Like, if you're in Seattle, I I think it all totally makes sense. It's just really unfortunate that the name of this creature is a kraken because it just, especially in a West Coast city like Seattle, these places don't have the greatest uh, reputation right now where they have just terrorists taking over blocks at a time. And so I mean, just, yeah, I I guarantee their fans will actually uh, somewhat affectionately call themselves the crackheads and climate pledge arena will be the crack house. I can pretty much guarantee all this will happen, but just, just an ill thought out name when it has the word crack in it. Well, okay. Um, you asked me my opinion and now that I have an idea of what it is, I guess geographically, I understand a little bit, but, um, they couldn't have been the seals. They couldn't have been, uh, I don't know. Fisherman's wharf. I don't know, but I, I think that this is just terrible. Uh, First of all, to send Ronnie Francis out, Ronnie Francis, with all due respect to a really, really fantastic Hall of Fame kind of hockey player, you send Ronnie Francis right now out into the city streets of Seattle and they have no clue who he is. They, Ronnie Francis wasn't known in his own markets when he played in Hartford or in Raleigh, North Carolina with the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm sorry. He maybe obviously was a little bit more with more notoriety when he made it to Pittsburgh, but ultimately, I think they dropped the ball hugely on this. Todd Lewicki, the CEO, who I believe ruined a number of franchises in his quote-unquote distinguished career when he was trying to ruin the Los Angeles Kings, ultimately left Toronto before they got good, and now I think he's really mucking up the new Seattle franchise. This is a team in a city that sold out their season ticket base in like eight minutes, and 
with all the preamble and all the all of the red carpet crap in regard to getting to this name, the release of this name, and you come up with this. Um, maybe the colors are probably apropos because of the connection to not only the water of Seattle, but obviously there's some connectivity to the Seahawks jerseys. Not direct duplicates, but there's some similarity. So um, they're going up against two things right now. The Las Vegas, excuse me, the Vegas Golden Knights, 51 wins in their inaugural season three years ago. And now they're going, you know, trying to overcome that, which is tough enough in and of itself. But now this name, this is ridiculous. Um, I, I'm just, I'm very disappointed. And uh, again, for the, for the fans of Seattle that uh, sold out the season tickets in eight minutes, um, I think you should be quite disappointed for all the time that they've had to put this together um i i i hope i've made my point clear enough this is ridiculous this is ridiculous and uh uh for all the names and i i can just think of how many and you've named a number of them how many nicknames are going to come from this to the city to the arena to the team itself um i think somebody in seattle should be quite embarrassed about this and if they're not that says volumes as well well, they said, uh, Seattle management that is, they said that this was a name born of the fans, and they said that's really where this came from. It wasn't like, a, uh, allegedly, it wasn't some sort of focus okay. group thing. It was like actually from the fans. That was the number one suggestion. So, Okay, listen, um, if this is an original six city, especially in the United States, if this is an original six city, I get it in regard to the fans. The fans have a, hack, a hockey base there. They understand the game. They get it. Uh, the Seattle fans don't have a clue. And um, to put this decision, I think, is a cop-out by the Seattle management because I think deep down they probably think they really screwed up here. And let's blame it on the fans. Um, mm. pay, tribute, pay tribute to uh, uh, something that uh, is memorable to the city of Seattle. Um you know, I, I, I just, uh, I'm really disappointed in this, obviously. Um, this was a landmark decision to add a 32nd team to a city in the Northwest. I thought there was going to, and there still could be, obviously, a natural connectivity for a potential rivalry with Vancouver. Um, but I think this name just it sets the franchise back a bit. Again, with all the preamble and all the build-up to this, and the best that you can come out of this is potentially crack house. Um, I, I think this is ridiculous. I'm sorry. It's okay. I appreciate the concept, though. Like, I mean, real quick, what would you have thought if they would have named themselves the Seattle Sea Monsters? Well, I, I, I'm not, an, I'm not enamored with that. But at least there's people are, uh, they have some connection um, to a sea monster in regard to they've seen it whether it be in a cartoon, whether it be in whatever. I, again, I just believe this. And, you know, maybe the Seattle fans, certainly, you know, maybe they, they're enamored with this. But remember, as the National Hockey League has tried to expand with games in China and games in, in various places around the world, they're trying to, you know, make an international brand. And I think that's some of the things that Bettman and Daly are trying to do. And so this team has to be recognizable outside of the city of Seattle. And I think that uh, this was a poor choice. 
as they tried to expand the brand in the National Hockey League with this uh, with this choice of the name. I think that there's, and I don't have anything better right now off the top of my head because I've been painting all day and I look like I actually worked today. And uh, so I don't have a better one, but I can tell you one thing, my choice sure as hell would not have been the Seattle Kraken. Well, I still think they should have gone with the Seattle Freeze, as we had been saying for years on Unscripted here. But alas, they did not. Last thing about Seattle I wanted to ask about was uh, if you got to see the logo and the colors and the jerseys, I would just say that I don't mind the logo itself, the, you know, the S with the tentacle in the middle and the I and everything. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I don't even mind the away jerseys, which are mostly white and have some trim and it's fine. But I really don't like the uh, color scheme. It's like five different shades of blue, I think. And uh, I just don't think it looks good with red trim. And I hate blue and red together. And I just, it, it almost looks old. Like it doesn't look like a brand new thing. You expect when you're the 32nd NHL franchise, you expect that you're going to have something, to me at least, vibrant and really new and just look like it couldn't have made, been made in the 60s. And this was a real disappointment. I talked briefly today with our Vancouver Bureau Chief, who we might need to rename our Pacific Northwest Bureau Chief, Sean Dode. And he, he said that he doesn't think that those colors will show up good on TV and it'll look bad on TV. And I agree with that. Have you had, Mike, a chance to look at the colors and the jersey and the logo? And what are your thoughts? No, I, to be totally honest, I'm not going to blow smoke anybody's up anybody's skirt here. I have not had a chance to see them. I've heard about what the color scheme is. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I think that, again, part of it is a nod to the Seahawks because the Seahawks have 19 different jersey combinations and uniform combinations that they can go with. And I think that is their in a, in an offbeat way is is uh, from what I understand it to be I, I think there is some similarity or some at least that they're trying to acknowledge that they share the same city with the Seahawks but I totally agree with you especially a team that a team and an ownership group that's committing 400 million dollars to an upgrade to the old key arena in downtown Seattle you want something fresh you want something new and uh, I don't know enough, but obviously I trust you that if that's the way you feel about the uniforms, those look to, to you and to Sean Dode, it seems to me to sound that those are old and tired. And the name to me, again, is old and tired before they even drop the puck in the new renovated key arena. So um, I think they've dropped the ball here, uh, certainly with the name change. And obviously you guys don't seem too excited about the uniforms. So we know they're not going to be as good as the 2018 Vegas Golden Knights, so let's just write them off now. Fair enough. Okay, well, let's move on to the second story of the day, and that is, of course... Was, the... I, uh, was I explicit enough there? <laughs> yes, you were. Yes. Okay, good. All right, so uh, we unfortunately have to talk about Dan Snyder again here. So if you would have told me a week or two ago on Unscripted when we said that the... Uh, Washington team names we came up with, which we almost half jokingly, or maybe more than that, you know, I came up with the Washington, uh, uh, I came up with the Washington NFLers, and you came up with Washington FC. If you would have told me that both of those were legitimately better than what they would actually come up with, at least for one year, I would have thought you were crazy. But the fact is, 
I honestly think Washington NFLers and Washington FC are better than the Washington football team. I just want to say that there is no excuse for ever doing anything purely for a lack of creativity. And that's what this was. The fact they couldn't put a name together in what, however long, however many weeks they had, they couldn't get it figured out. They need a year to change the name. I thought that was absolutely pathetic and just, uh, just not surprising for such a pathetic football club. And as our a friend of the show, uh, Ryan Hall, our Saskatchewan Bureau chief, texted me, he said it shouldn't be the Washington football team. It should be the Washington team of football so that on their uh, on the screen, on their broadcast, it'll just say WTF because that's what everyone's saying with this franchise. What are your thoughts on this lazy cop-out of a team name? Well, I think that this is Daniel Schneider's way of telling Jane Goodell's husband and the, the other 31 or other 30 owners in the National Football League, this is his way of flipping them the collective middle finger. I, I still to this day do not believe that it, in his heart of hearts that Dan Schneider wants to change the name Redskins. And he's going to fight this tooth and nail. He now knows at least that in these times, it's the right thing to do. That should have been done years ago. But I think this is this is uh, Schneider's way of saying F you to his other 30 NFL owners, uh, to the head office of the National Football League at one park place, New York City, and uh, anybody that doesn't believe on uh, riding on Daniel Schneider's magic carpet ride. So, um, you know what? I, I, I thought that there were some alternatives out there. Um, I don't disagree with taking the time to find something that is comfortable with team ownership, team management, the fans, and the National Football League is certainly going to play a role in this. This is one of the founding franchises of the National Football League, but it's been misrun since, as you corrected me the other day, has been misrun since 1999 with the, uh, the, uh, Mr. Schneider in that top seat in Washington, D.C., but, the name itself, I think, is, again, is a shot by Schneider at the NFL. And uh, I think it's proper. I don't think you want to rush into something, especially when you're trying to change the name that's been intact since the 1930s. But uh, I'm not enamored with it. I don't love it. I don't hate it. Uh, I do think Washington FC would have been cooler just to, you know, then they would have, th- and then we could have pushed that they were listening to unscripted. But, uh I don't really give a damn. The Redskins have been mismanaged. I think the one good thing that Daniel Schneider has done is hire Ron Rivera in. I think Rivera will do a solid job. He'll be the best football man he's had in a while. And I probably include Shanahan in that regard because I remember Father Shanahan is the one that ruined RG3's career. So, uh, again, this, this franchise, this organization is in disarray. And uh, I just don't know if they really know, Chris, what they're doing top to bottom there. Rivera is a good start, but uh, the ownership there, I mean, we poke fun at a lot of owners, but I think at the top of the list of poking fun, but also probably right up there with any number of them, but certainly within the top three, Schneider in D.C. is is one of the three worst, worst owners in the NFL. <laughs> Well, I think this is clearly leading towards uh, them being named the Washington Kraken. I think that's where we're probably headed here. <laughs> so, 
I'm just excited to wait for that. But yeah, this was just a completely dropped ball. And I, I, I even I'm shocked and I have a very low opinion of Dan Snyder. I never even thought about it as a troll against Roger Goodell in the league. I, I just thought this was pure incompetence from Dan Snyder, but well, maybe but just, we'll never you know. know. Chris, look at this. I mean, you're a smart guy. You've got to figure this out. It, it's obvious to anybody, even with the limited cap- capabilities of a Helen Keller, my dear friend, you, you just get the feeling that Daniel Schneider does not want to change the name Redskins. And so when society finally tuned him up, along with the 15 cheerleaders and everything else that's been making news with the Redskins, or, excuse me, the Washington football team organization, um, it's just been a continual slap in the face for the last, you know, well, really the last 21 years, but really in the forefront the last week to two weeks or whatever it's been. So... Um, I just really feel Schneider has no remorse and he's going to try to drag this out as possible because this is the one thing that he just did not want to do. He did not want to give up the name Redskins because I think in his mind, as the total control freak that I think he is, he's lost a little grip on his football team because he had to give up the name that he wanted and he's going to fight this to the last fiber in his body. Yeah, I just, you know, the reason I'm not a conspiracy theorist ever is because I always think that anything that can be attributed to incompetence, that's where I go. And I don't even stop. I, I just stopped thinking about it at that point with Dan Snyder. As soon as he does anything, I always just think, well, he just has no idea what he's doing. So nothing new there. But yeah, what a redi- I never saw this coming, that he'd need another year to get a name. Well, hopefully they come up with something better than the Kraken. But uh, I guess that remains to be seen. And the third story we had within the span of about an hour today was, of course, the Mike Tyson story. We've been talking about this for a while. We both like Mike Tyson. We're looking forward to this. And uh, at least I'm looking forward to it. And maybe you won't because they're too old. But for anyone anyone who doesn't know, Mike Tyson is coming out of retirement. The 53-year-old Tyson will fight the 51-year-old Roy Jones Jr. on September 12th in an eight-round exhibition. And your thoughts on that, Mike? Are you excited? Welcome to the 2020 version of the Geritol Bowl. Um, <laughs> these are two ham and eggers, and I, and I love Tyson. You know that. I have great respect for Tyson in regard to that I've had the chance to meet him, and I've had an interaction with him, and I couldn't have been treated nicer. So I have no ill will toward Mike, but I also am smart enough to realize after years and years of uh, bad finance and, and even worse spending habits, I would imagine that Tyson, part of the reason of doing this is that he's broke. and I would believe that uh, my gut is telling me that I'm, a, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not amazed by this. What I am amazed is that people, somebody out there can realize that a person in his mid, almost mid-50s can contribute somewhere in life. <laughs> as, I get a, as I get a little dig in there at uh, companies around the city of Calgary, but I digress. Um, I think Tyson will kill him. I think Tyson is motivated. I think Tyson, you know, Tyson comes into this fight with six losses on his record. And remember, it's an exhibition, so, you know, technically it's not going to count. But Tyson comes into this record, with, uh, comes into this exhibition in August with six career losses. And uh, I think that he probably thinks in, in his mind he should have won all six of those fights. And I truly believe, and I've stated this many times, that if Gus D'Amato was still alive and Kevin Rooney was training him, in the later stages of his career, and without interference from that idiot from Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Don King, I truly believe that there's a good chance that Mike Tyson would have been, like Floyd Mayweather, 
undefeated and a perfect unblemished record. But we aren't working with a rocket scientist here. We all know that. And Mike can obviously be very influenced, see some of his choices in lady friends. But again, I think Tyson is probably more motivated. Um, I think if they would have fought back in their respective heydays, I think Tyson would have won then, though I think it would have been a closer fight. I think Tyson's been training for a while for an opportunity like this. And I think a desperate, potentially financially desperate Mike Tyson, and this is just my opinion, but my opinion is a potentially financially desperate Mike Tyson will kick the crap out of anybody right now because Mike Tyson is hungry and he's out there to prove to some people that, you know, especially starting with the night back in 1990 in, in the Tokyo Dome when he lost just unbelievably to Buster Ham and Eggs, the ultimate Ham and Egg or Buster Douglas. Um, I think Mike is trying to get on that revenge tour. It's taken him a while to find anybody that would believe in him maybe first and foremost himself, but I think that if you got a motivated Mike Tyson, he's going to be fun to watch, you know, potentially in something like this, you know, eight rounds uh, at that toilet bowl where the Chargers were playing the last five years in, in Los Angeles. But I think Tyson's going to kill him because I think Tyson's motivated to continue with this renaissance of his career. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think uh, he'll make a few million. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, he said a while back that he's just a guy trying to uh, get together money for his kids college fund. And then he said he's also a guy who spends 40 grand a month on weed. So something well, doesn't. See, there, there it is right there. And, you know, it's funny. I, I watched Mike Tyson over the weekend. The Economy Cent Comedy Central had all the roasts on again. And I caught the one that Charlie Sheen and, and Mike Tyson was on. What else is Mike Tyson going to do to generate income? I mean, come on. Um, He's got a CBD oil here. company. What's that? He has his own CBD oil company. Okay, well, I mean, that's a start. But obviously, I think Mike needs capital. And uh, the best way for him to do it and do it quickly is to get back in the ring. And oh, yeah. people are going to want to see for one of two reasons. They're going to want to see for curiosity, and some are going to want to see Mike Tyson get flattened. So I think that this is a natural thing. I'm surprised that, quite frankly, it's taken this long to happen. And again, I just think because of a motivated, financially, potentially financially motivated Mike Tyson, and try to right some wrongs potentially, um, I think Mike Tyson will be very difficult for uh, Roy Jones Jr. to be. Yeah, he's looked really good in his uh, little clips on YouTube, that's for sure. Like I said before, still got the oily hips and still looks like there's some power there. I still wouldn't want to get punched by Mike Tyson, even if he is 53. Still looks pretty scary to me. But yeah, anyway, it was uh, an eventful day today. Three quick stories in the span of an hour, all broke one after the other. It was pretty exciting. Reminded me of days before the pandemic when this type of thing used to happen, especially in you know the fall. Uh, any last thoughts about any of these stories as we wrap up here on this special bonus episode of Unscripted, episode 531? Any last thoughts today, Mike? Well, I'm just going to, you know, you'll, you'll probably get mad at me, but um, I just, uh, I, I'm done talking about those three things. I just need, real, real briefly, all I'm going to say is watching baseball at the major league level without fans sucks. And I think that this sport without fans could get hurt the most. Um, Basketball is, you know, they've only got eight regular season games and then they get it right into the playoffs. Hockey, same kind of basic scenario kind of thing. 
football, I think, is going to get started, but it's going to be without fans or limited. But baseball, uh, they needed something positive and an empty stadium watching, uh, you know, nine guys on a field at one at any one particular time, plus potentially a few base runners. It is boring. And uh, I think baseball is going to really suffer for this. This is going to be this could be the death knell of baseball. The fans helped it, especially when you've got two marquee teams like I was watching, which is the World Series champion Nationals and obviously my closet favorite team, the New York Yankees. But when you can't generate any kind of sis boom ba watching the Yankees play at any time, especially against the defending World Series champions, I think baseball is doomed to fail. And man, I think this is just not what Robbie and Robbie Manfred and uh, anybody else associated with this once great, great game needed at this time. Yeah, well, I have to say, I mean, not maybe not Yankee Stadium, but there are so many ballparks when I watch baseball highlights throughout the summer where you see a home run and there is not a single fan in the shot where you're watching the ball go over the fence. There's a lot of half-empty stadiums uh, in the best of times, so uh, it, it almost looks the least out of place for me seeing baseball. But uh, yeah, I think you might be right. The death knell of baseball could be upon us. The only people happy are the Houston Astros because they don't have to get just booed out of the building every single time. This couldn't have happened at a better time for them. But uh, I thought it was interesting that the Dodgers are looking at giving Mookie Betts $365 million. Maybe you want to wait on that, or at the very least, I hope they have some good out clauses in that uh, in that uh, contract just in case in however long it is 10 12 years baseball doesn't exactly exist anymore well Mookie Betts did get a 10-year contract extension on Wednesday for 353 million I believe over the next again 10 years with the Dodgers Um, I think it's a brilliant move by the Dodgers but again it shows the disparity in regard to how certain teams can play regardless of this you know quote-unquote a soft salary cap in Major League Baseball, it doesn't really matter. The Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox have no spending limits. So congratulations to the Dodgers. Hopefully for the first time since 1988, they've bought themselves a World Series championship. But I do have to make comment on one thing you said in regard to empty houses during a regular baseball season. That does happen, there's no question. And a lot of stadiums after opening day, that happens. But I think the significance of today when you have opening day, which is generally the one one game a year where even the Tampa Bay Rays can get a potential full house, it's really eerily weird when you finally get to the 2020 version of Major League Baseball's opening day and you've got nobody in the stands. And you would be, regardless, you would be in front of a packed, a packed house in Washington celebrating their 2019 World Series championship with the Yankees in town that, I guarantee you, my friend, would have been a sellout. And uh, I think that that, again, is a microcosm showing the problems moving forward with Major League Baseball. Because now, after opening day, we go back to regular regular baseball programming. And uh, it's going to be ugly this year for Robbie Manfred, Tony Clark, the head of the Major League Baseball Players Association. It's going to be a very long 60 games. I don't care if they've expanded the playoff field. It's going to be a long 60 games for this very weird baseball season. It sure will. That is the voice of the lead host of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, Mike Jansen, joining us via phone. Thanks for joining, Mike, and thanks for uh, getting together on short notice so we could uh, deal with the news of the day here. 
my name is Chris Fluke. We will be coming at you this weekend with more new episodes of Unscripted, if all goes according to plan. Looking forward to that. But for now, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.